we've got a great opportunity today to turn our attention to Malachi, a book that doesn't get much, uh, much attention given to it. Uh, it's the last in our series called Meeting God in the Old Testament. And so it's appropriate to meet him in the last book uh, of the Old Testament. So I'm going to pray now and ask that God would help us and then we'll dive in. So if you can have Malachi open, that'll be really helpful. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to turn our attention to this part of your word. Come now by your Holy Spirit. Convict us of what is wrong. Encourage and strengthen us in what is right and enable us to live in ways that are pleasing to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to start by asking you, uh, who or what gets your best? Who or what gets your best? Uh, Who gets out of you everything that you've got? What, What do you put into where you go, I'm all in. Do you know that kind of idea? I'm, I'm all in. I love this. This is who I am. This is what I'm all about. Can you think what gets your best? Some of you are thinking, I don't think I let that out at all. I'm just trying to get through the day. Uh, I, I, I think, uh, I think it's, it's sort of, there's, there's two ways that we can approach this. I was thinking about school athletics carnivals. Do you remember back to school athletics carnivals? So for some people, school athletics carnivals are like this sweaty, producing, kind of all-in kind of... Was there anyone like that? A couple of you? Great. I reckon everyone else is kind of a bit like this. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's the one where you go, okay, well, we're out of the classroom today, so I'll make the most of it. I'm going to sit in the sun, bring some extra, extra recess... And uh, do you know, it's a funny thing, isn't it? So, so for some of us, giving our everything is kind of a life habit. We just love giving our best. For some of us, though, we're kind of like, if I can get through the day without getting above about 10%, I'm doing beautifully, okay? Now, what I want us to think about today is actually thinking about that attitude and that approach as it, as it deal, deals with God. What's the amount of effort? What's the level of commitment? What do we bring when it comes to engaging with God? And what Malachi has to say today is going to challenge us on that. What do we bring when it comes to engaging with God? So uh, in the series we've been doing it, we've sort of had a a chair sit down here and we've asked God a question, at least metaphorically. Here I think this is God asking us a question. And uh, he's saying, well, what if I get to talk to you? Instead of you ask me questions, what if I get to ask you a question? And uh, we're going to see that in Malachi today. And because it's such an unusual book, I thought I'd give us a little bit of background. Uh, this is my overview of the, uh, of the Bible. So we have on the left, the Old Testament, and on the right, the New Testament. We're obviously in the, New Test- I mean, sorry, in the Old Testament here. And if we zoom in a little, uh, Malachi is in this bit after the exile. Uh, that's the broken down building picture. So God had taken his people who were in the promised land and said, because of your sin, you can't stay here. I'm going to put you far away from where you belong. And so they'd gone into exile. God had, however, graciously brought them back. And so my little road here with flowers on the side is, it must be a happy day when you come back to the promised land. Okay? So Malachi is written after the people have come back from Babylon. So if we kind of zoom in a little bit on our our world... Uh, Babylon's over here. We've had a couple of sermons, uh, one in Ezekiel and one in Daniel, where we're across in the, in the land of Babylon. And uh, Jerusalem, the heart of the people of God is over there. And what we're ha- what's happening with Malachi is the people have come back. They're back into the promised land. 
We're about 460 BC. Okay? There are some things that, uh, that characterise this time. First thing is they've returned, so they're back home. That's an excellent thing. Secondly, the temple has been rebuilt. Right? So uh, when, uh, the, when Jerusalem was destroyed and the people were kicked out, the temple that Solomon had built was destroyed. They've now replaced it, but it's kind of a, um, it's kind of a bit of a tin shed kind of job. Okay? In, comparison to, uh, in comparison to Solomon's magnificent temple, there's a temple there, but it's on a smaller scale. Okay? What the people thought was, when we come back to the land, when we rebuild the temple, then, then there's going to be this awesome day of the Lord where God will come and set everything right. And so they got back, they rebuilt the temple, and they were waiting, and they were waiting, and they were waiting. And for them, the day of the Lord hadn't come. There was still a lot in the world that wasn't right, and they were desperately waiting for this glorious day when God would come and fix everything up. So God writes to them in this time. And uh, if we have a look at chapter 1, uh, verses 6 to 8, it's up on the screen there, you can see the sort of thing that God is bringing to his people. How they've fallen from the place that they should be at. Have, have a listen to these verses. God says to them, a son honours his father. Well, that's a good start, isn't it? Of course, all sons do that. Is that right? A son honours his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, God says, where is the honour due to me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? He says, by offering food defiled on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. So what's happened is we have a sacrificial system operating. We have them back in the land. But the people have become so cynical about the day coming that they've decided it doesn't really matter what sort of animal we offer. As long as it bleeds a little and we can burn it, it'll be fine. Diseased, blind, lame animals are being offered. And God's saying, you know what? Why don't you try offering that to your governor? You are bringing to the living God what humans would reject. What was the mood like? What, what led to them doing that? Well, I think there was, uh, there was three things that characterised the people at this point in time. Number one, they were pretty convinced that God was lucky to have them. Hey God, you are very fortunate to have us as your people. We're pretty good. We're a pretty good people. You should be thankful. God is lucky to have us. Secondly, the people who were God's people were envious of the wicked. They looked around and they said, hey look, we're, we're making ourselves a little bit uncomfortable, at least a little bit uncomfortable to be one of your people because we've kind of got to watch what we eat and we have to make these sacrifices and things. But when we look around, the people who ignore that, they seem to be doing really well. They seem to be getting rich. They seem to be prosperous. And they don't have all this awkward crisis of conscience that I have. How inconvenient being one of your people. So they envied the rich. Thirdly, 
They thought that they could ignore social issues. They thought they could ignore injustice and evil in the world around them. They thought it wouldn't matter because after all, the most important thing was the hip pocket. Tell you what, it sounds like the Bible's out of touch here, doesn't it? Here we are, two and a half thousand years ago, and what's happening in God's people is that they have a sense of entitlement. They envy those who are not believers, who seem to be doing so well, without all the restraints of being believers, and they've lost their social, comfort, their social conscience in exchange for looking after their hip pocket. Wow. Hi, God, what have you got to say to us today? What had happened was due to, their sin, due to the delay of the day of the Lord coming, cynicism reigned. Well, if God hasn't turned up yet, well, I guess we'll just get on with doing whatever it is that we like. So who is this God who could be treated so contemptuously? Who is the God who you can offer a blind animal to? Who is the God whose heart you can ignore when it comes to social issues? Well, have a listen to how he describes himself in verse 14 of chapter 1. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. If we've learnt nothing from this meeting God in the Old Testament series, I hope you have got a bigger, more impressive, more awesome vision of our God. Has that happened for you? If you're new with us today, have a listen to some MP3s, you'll catch up. Uh, But we've been looking at God and we've gone, God, you are truly majestic. You are mighty. You are righteous. You are sovereign. You are holy. You are powerful, right? This incredible picture of God. And so the only people who can possibly treat this this God this way are people who suffer from what I call SGS, small God syndrome. It's endemic. A God who's so small that he couldn't ask me to do something that I would find uncomfortable. A God who's so powerless that he won't look for mighty sacrifice from me. A God who is so tiny that what he worries about and what's on his heart won't affect my heart. Small God syndrome. What does this God say? And this is where we're really going to, you know, if, if the opening hasn't been, you know, strong enough for us, let's listen to God. Let's hear what he says to his cynical, tired, envious people. Ha- have a listen to what he says. Let's, let's dive in. So we're going to go to chapter 3. It'd be great to have it open, chapter 3 of Malachi. So here's God speaking, and, and here's him speaking to his people, and he says this in verses 5 to 7. So I will come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord. I, am, I the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. 
Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. God says, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to turn up. One day, I'm going to turn up and I'm going to judge you. I'm going to hold you to my holy standard. We're going to do the measuring line thing. I'm going to see how you measure up against me. And uh, it's striking the things that he's going to be quick to testify against, isn't it? Sorcerers, no problems. Adulterers, no problems. Perjurers, oh, people who say the wrong thing in court. Okay, that's good, God. Who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress widows and the fatherless, deprive the foreigners of justice and do not fear me. Oh, look, I thought this sermon would have been brilliant the day before the election. You know, because what's it talking about? Social security, refugees, and workplace relations. Isn't it? Wow. And so he says, look, I'm I'm actually going to come and judge you on this stuff. It's not just really a matter of opinion. I'm not just marking a scorecard. I'm I'm actually the righteous, holy judge of the world. And I'm going to bring that and I'm going to look and see what sort of civilization you are running. Gracious Lord, have mercy, yeah? So God himself says, I will bring the charges and I will testify against you. And what's truly scary about that? Imagine how powerful God's witness is. What are you going to do? Get your lawyer up to defend you? God says, this is what I saw. How do you think that will work out? One of the things I like thinking about when I think about the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system, and I've said this before, but I actually think it probably looked more like a butcher's than a church. There was so much sacrifice. Lambs, bulls, goats, rams, all this stuff getting cut up. Slices of meat, fire, burning, blood. I'm thinking, actually, it probably looks a lot more like a butcher's than a church. Anyway, by the by. Let's have a look at what God says as the first charge that he will bring against the people. Have a look at verses 8 to 10. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? Oh, incidentally, what's the question? Will, Will a mere mortal rob God? Well, the short answer is, what could you take from God? You can't steal anything off him. But what God's going to say here is, you actually are robbing me of something that you owe me. Have a listen. Will any immortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how, how are we robbing you? Listen to this. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Wow. Uh, what, we, don't, we don't talk about money at church here very much at all from up the front. In fact, we hardly ever do it. But here's, here's something where it's, I'm, I'm just reading the Bible, it's in front of us, this is what we're preaching on this week. And what it's saying here is that uh, the people of Israel weren't supporting the priests who were supposed to run the nation. God said to the Levites, I'm setting you aside. You guys, your whole job as a tribe is to do all the stuff associated with worshipping and praising me. You'll run the sacrifices, you'll do the, do the singing, all that sort of stuff. That's your job. In order for you to do your job, guess what? Everyone else will give 10% and that will go to you and that will provide for you. Okay? Now, what had been happening, well, no one had been putting their 10% in. 
And so you've got a group of people set aside for the task of worshipping God who are basically starving and don't have enough to get by. And so God's saying, actually what you're doing is you're robbing me. I said I'd look after them and I gave you the job of making sure that they'd be provided for. So when you don't pay, I'm being robbed. My cash flow is in jeopardy, God is saying. Very interesting. And so God says to the people, because you're not bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, you're robbing me. Charge number one. Charge number two, lest we feel too comfortable about that one. Uh, Charge number two, verses 13 to 15. He says, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Do you notice how clueless they are? Have you got this so far? God says, you robbed me. And they go, we don't know. He says, you speak arrogantly. And they go, how are we doing that? He's got an answer for them, though. He says, yet you ask, what have we said against you? Verse 14, you have said, it is futile to serve the Lord. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Now, this is fascinating, isn't it? God's charge is you speak arrogantly. And and what's it mean in practice? In practice, it's God's people having kind of a little side discussion where they say, do you know what? I reckon this whole religion thing is kind of weighing down on us. I reckon the people who aren't Christians are actually doing better than us. I can't see why. Why do I get up at, why am I at church on Sunday? I could sleep in. It'd be a lot better. Be warm up for a start, wouldn't it? Does God not know how long I work through the week? And yet you want another whole day? You're writing off half of my Sunday, God. And maybe I'm working six days. So what do you want from me? It would be much better if I just chucked the whole thing in. My mate doesn't go to church and he, he relaxes a lot more, doesn't he? And God calls this speech arrogant speech. And he says he's going to judge them for it. There's a third thing uh, that God says. Uh, He's going to bring a day. Have a look at verse 17 of chapter 3. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares the son who serves him. And you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace, all the arrogant, And every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them. So what's happening? God's saying, I will turn up as judge, I will hold two charges against you, and then I'll declare the guilty verdict. And it will not work well if you're my enemy. If you're the righteous, it's going to be great. That's what the charge And the prospect is before the people that Malachi is speaking to. So what will God do? What will he do? Well, wonderfully, uh, God says he's going to help them out. Uh, There is some good news in here. Who would have thought? You were getting a bit worried about that, weren't you? Have a look. There is some good news. Uh, In 3, 1 to 4, we see this. Uh, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. It gets a little bit dark next though, so 
hang on. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in the former years. So God says, guess what? I'm going to come. I'm going to come and I'm going to help you out. But it'll be a refining and cleansing work that I will do. The last bit of good news is right at the end. Uh, the last verses in the whole of our Old Testament are in chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. He says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So what's he saying? Two things. God's saying he will send Elijah and he will visit himself. Okay, And you guys are saying to me, Elijah, isn't he a guy further back in the Old Testament? Yep. He is. And does anyone know what happened to Elijah? Someone tell me. He was taken up into heaven on a fiery chariot. This is where the idea of chariots of fire comes from. Okay, He's walking along and God says, you're my man. I'm going to pick you up in a flaming chariot and take you up to heaven. And what happened in the Old Testament was they sort of thought, hey, this guy took off. In a chariot, perhaps he'll come back again. Okay, And in the end of Malachi here, it's saying, God says he will send Elijah before the dreadful day of the Lord comes. So God says, I'm going to send Elijah and I will come with the refiner's fire. Okay, Two things God will do. How were they asked to respond? So we're going to see how were they asked to respond and then we can think about how we're supposed to respond. Um, I think this is the most, one of the most stunning bits of the Old Testament. And if you haven't read it before, be prepared to be a little bit surprised, I think. Have a look at uh, Malachi uh, 3.10. Uh, God says this, uh, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for it. Uh, enough to store it. I'll prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Do, Do you get what he's saying here? He's saying you haven't been giving your tithes and your offerings. And I think the reason that we don't do that, the reason that we're stingy towards God is because we think if I do that, I will be poorer. This makes sense, doesn't it? If I give you 10% of everything I earn, God, I'm going to be 10% poorer, yes? At least agree with me here, yes? Okay, good. And what God's saying here is, hmm, why don't you test me? And we think, isn't that wrong? We're not supposed to put God to the test? Do you know what? We're not supposed to put God to the test, but he's invited them to test him. There's a difference there. It's not like, I'm going to step off here, God, if I break my ankle. That's putting God to the test. But he's saying, Test me in what I'm promising you. Step out in it and find that it's good. And what does he say? If you test me in this, you won't get poorer. Do do you see this? He says, I'm going to make sure that I look after you. That's what he says to his people. Number one, he says, test me in this. And I think he's saying, offer me your best. 
Offer me your best. Put me to the test and see if it does not impoverish you. As an aside, uh, and I'll just say this briefly, at New Life, we don't ask anyone here, you know, no one is obligated to give money. Have you noticed this? Very good. We don't do it. We would encourage you, if you choose to partner with us here at this church, to contribute to the running of the church. And we talk about tithing with people, but we never say you're obligated to do it, okay? You're not obligated. However, my personal experience has been, Carolyn and I, um, I, I grew up with tithing my 20 cents that I got went from, for pocket money. Literally, you know, the copper, you know, remember two cent pieces? You used to put that in at Sunday school. When I got my first paycheck, I, I, I withdrew it in cash, 10% of that. And I'll tell you what, I nearly died the first time I did it. Terrifying. And then I had two weeks off and I withdrew two amounts of cash equal to the 10% of my, and I just looked at it and I went, I'm, I'm insane. But because I've been doing it since I was a kid, I just kept doing it. And Kara and I have been doing this. You know what? Wonderfully, you don't miss it. You don't miss it. And God's honoured. So there you go. Offer God your best. Point number one. Point number two, uh, there's another response that people take. Have a look at uh, 3.16. says this. Um, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of re- remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. I've got uh, this wall here. Does anyone know what this wall is? Murmur, murmur. Uh, where is it? War Memorial, yeah? It honours the names of those who gave their lives in the various wars that Australia has been committed to. Their names are honoured. Yep. They said, we are the people who have given our lives. In this chapter here, it says, a scroll of remembrance was written. These are the people who fear the Lord. Do you want your name on that list? These are the families who are saying, we're all in with God. God will have our best Our family's name, I want to see on that list, yeah? So I think we need to offer our fear. We're going to say we will be the people who fear the Lord. And in verses uh, 2 to 4, we see why it's it's a good idea. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you'll go out and frolic like well fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked, and there will be ashes under your feet. Do you want to frolic like calves? This is a great offer this morning, isn't it? Frolic like calves. Who doesn't want to be in for that? So fear the Lord. Revere his name. Put your name on that scroll and say, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. You know, God kept his promise. I won't read you this passage, but it is beautiful. Uh, God said, I'm going to send Elijah ahead. John the Baptist, Jesus says, is Elijah. It's all messed up. It'll take a while to explain. But he says, John the Baptist is my Elijah. He's preparing the way of the Lord. And remember the Lord said that he would come and visit? He came and visited, didn't he? Jesus came. And so he said, I have sent Elijah and I have come into the temple. Just like he said. Brilliant. He kept his promise. I I want us to think about how we need to live differently. We need to be people who take God seriously and give him the best of us. And so that's that passage from Galatians. Have a look with me, uh, Galatians chapter 6. 
It's absolutely sensational. Galatians chapter 6. I'll read from verse 7. Here's what he says. He says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Probably women as well, just in case you're wondering, women. I'm thinking. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Verse 9 is so important. If you're a believer here and you've been running the race long, okay, you've been following Jesus for a long time. One of our values over here, we talk about being a church that is faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring. We want you to run long, to keep following Jesus all your life. Have a listen to verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. Why? Can you see here, verse 9? Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap our harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Brothers and sisters, we were stained by sin. We have been washed clean and white in the blood of Jesus. We have been set free. We have a new life. How much does the God who sent his son to die for us want from us? What sort of life should we live for him? One where we never give up doing good. One where we pour our hearts out in love and sacrifice for the people around us and for the honour of his name. We need to begin a new life beyond cynicism. Which is kind of our corporate religion in Australia, isn't it? Cynicism. So I want to ask, I want to finish on this. What does God get from you? What does God get from you? What do you bring to him? I want you to think about your time, the time that's at your disposal, your talents, the skills and gifts you have, your treasure, the finances at your disposal. What does God get from you? Does he get the mangy? It, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't do thunderous, right? Okay, I don't do thunderous. It's not my personality. But, but I have to say to you today, God, God was saying, would what you bring to him be acceptable in your workplace? Would it be valued in your family? Is it the best of you? Or are you bringing a mangy offering that someone who is employing you would reject? What are you bringing to the living God? Is it mangy or is it magnificent? It's the prize bull. It's the best of what you have. And you go, yes, sacrifice that for your glory, Lord. Are we bringing the rest or are we bringing the best to our living God? Because I just want you to be shaken by that today. I want you to think, is it mangy? Does he get all of me? Because he is worthy of all of us. Love the Lord your God. You can help me with this. With all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Yeah? That's the first and the greatest commandment. How much do we get to not put in there? So don't make it mangy. Make it magnificent. Why? 
I, the Lord, do not change, so your, your descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Hear the beautiful word of the Lord today. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. That's what's on offer. Beautiful forgiveness for any mangy sacrifices you've made so far. Because the perfect sacrifice, Jesus has covered it. Forgiveness for our failings. Power to live a new life. Let's ask him to help us. Heavenly Father, forgive us for our mangy offerings, for my mangy offerings. Father, have mercy on us. Help us to bring what is best, what is magnificent, what is the most of us to service of you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this offer that if we return to you, you will return to us. Father, thank you for the beautiful hope we have. Equip us now to live for you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.